the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you're having a wonderful Saturday. Um, it is always a privilege and an honor to serve you. Um, I'm your host, Al Fadi, and uh, you are listening right now to uh, Let Us Reason, a Christian Muslim dialect with Al Fadi. That's the name of our show. You can always um, visit our uh, social uh, media platform, soundcloud.com, and search for us there to listen uh, not just to this one, but uh, to all of the previous shows uh, that are archived over there. Uh, if you have been joining us for the last few weeks, uh, you would have noticed that we've been talking about a very timely topic, uh, timely in the sense that uh, has been in the media just recently. However, the topic has been uh, uh, waging for ages now, for centuries uh, to be exact. And the topic is, is the God of Islam the God of the Bible? And... Uh, we discussed it from different angles. Uh, I had a couple of um, uh, guests on my show. Uh, one, a Westerner who worked in Muslim context in the Middle East. Another one, he's a former Muslim himself uh, from a Persian background. Um, I shared also from my own perspective. Uh, we will continue to discuss this topic. I will have probably more testimonies from other former Muslims as well as the time allows for that, and as uh, the Lord wills uh, for that. Uh, so I plan on continuing with this topic for a couple of more episodes, um, and uh, even if we interrupt it for any reason, we, we'll always revisit it back. This is a topic that will always be there. Um, so today I'm going to take a, um, a, a different angle uh, to talk about uh, the, this possibility um, uh, that the God of Islam uh, might be the God of the Bible. And let me re just emphasize this uh, once again. Uh, if we say, uh, uh, is the God of the Quran, is the, uh, the God of the Bible, from a Muslim perspective, the answer would always be yes, simply because that's what the Quran teaches, that's what Islam teaches. So um, th that side of the equation um, is easy to resolve. Uh, we know why a Muslim thinks this way, and uh, obviously uh, it is really not uh, uh, their fault that they believe this way because uh, this is all they know. That's what they're taught to believe. Now the question is, how do we as believers in Christ um, uh, should view uh, the nature and the character of God, um, our God, the God of the Bible, and comparing it to other gods in general. I mean, whether he is the God of the Quran or any other God. Uh, so it, we must always have the Word of God to be the guide for that. Um, sure that the Arabic Bible uses the word Allah for God, the generic, at least, um, word for God in there, among many other titles that God is given in the Arabic Bible. But that doesn't mean in any way, shape, or form that Allah 
in the Bible is the same Allah in the Quran. And we, it behooves us as believers, bear that responsibility to be able first to understand what that means. And also when we are witnessing and sharing with our Muslim friends, we need to be fair to them and to ourselves as well. So it's not a matter of debate. It's not a matter of argument. It's a matter of clarification. At the end of the day, the Holy Spirit will do the work. The Holy Spirit will convict people in their heart. And the Holy Spirit will um, enlighten people. I come from that background myself. I was a Muslim. I believed all of my life that the God of Islam is the God of the Bible. Today, I can tell you emphatically and very clearly that the answer is no. The God of the Bible that I follow and worship is nowhere near the God that I used to worship. Once again, the only reason why I was able to be enlightened is the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, not because someone uh, used a logic with me to try to clarify that to me. So let, me, let us you know, take another look, take a different angle about this question. Is Allah the God of the Bible? Uh, an excellent article. I would love for you to, at some point, go and visit. It's on a website that I'm a contributor to, among with many others. It's called answering-islam.org. And this article written by my dear friend Sam Shimon, whom I have in my show before, uh, not necessarily this show, but I had him on uh, Koinonia Radio, and we talked about ISIS at that time. But Sam is a um, uh, 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 someone who writes um, uh, all the time. Uh, he is a debater. Um, uh, he uh, uh, likes to discuss theology of Islam and uh, debate matters related to Islam and so on and so forth. And um, in this particular article, Sam addressed this question, is Allah the God of the Bible, from other angles that uh, haven't been discussed, at least not recently, by either the media, of course, by Christian uh, outlets, or uh, even in my show, at least in detail. And we are going to take him uh, uh, an item by item as the time allows. Now, one of the arguments that Sam raises, which I agree with him, is that the God of the Quran made it very clear in his own book, his own word, the Quran, that he is actually the author of temptation, uh, the author uh, of evil, if you wish. For instance, in the Quran, chapter 4, verse 142, uh, one of those English translations, this one is by Hilali and Khan, it reads this way, Verily, the hypocrites seek to deceive Allah, but it is He who deceives them. Very clear, very plain, basically, uh, the fact that the uh, Quran in this verse declares it, that Allah is the one who deceives others. And, uh, the hypothesis here that I'm going to be used, or the premise, is that Muslims believe the Quran is the Word of God. It's not the Word of anybody else. Hence, what, what I just read to you right now is what God Himself said of Himself. It is another chapter in the Quran, chapter 3, verse 54. It says, and, in reference to the unbelievers here, and the unbelievers schemed, planned, deceived, many ways to, you can say this, and planned. And Allah schemed also, and he is the best of screamers, uh, um, uh, schemers, I should say. Now, the, the troubling thing here is that the Arabic actually, um, uh, for this word in another uh, passage, is actually a very um, uh, disturbing word. Uh, it's called makr, 
which is an indication of deception, yet Allah applied it to himself in the Quran. And here's the verse in chapter 7 of the Quran, verse 99, it says, Are they then secure from Allah's scheme? Let me say the word in Arabic, from Allah's makra, meaning from his deception. None deems himself secure from Allah's deception, except those that will perish. So, in this case, um, uh, you uh, have heard right now that the God of the Quran himself, in multiple passages in the Quran, and these are just a handful, by the way, I didn't read all of them, declaring it very clearly to his followers and those that do not follow him, that he is the master schemer, master planner, master plotter, master deceiver, basically, applying the fact that he is the author of deception, the author of evil, the author of plotting against those who are, in his perspective, his enemies. Compare that, for instance, to the Bible, James 1, verse 13, Psalms 5, verses 4 and 5, Habakkuk 1, 13, very clearly stating that God does not tempt, nor that he is tempted. He is not the author of immorality and sin. Uh, he is not the author of evil. So, by virtue of this alone, one should really go no, uh, no further. I mean, if we're talking about the God of the Bible, who 600 years later revealed another scripture now called it the Quran, and in 600 years, there is this drastic change in his attributes and character, shifting from that God who loves the world, that is sinners, that is under condemnation, and sent his only begotten son to die for them, so that they will be saved and obtain eternal life. If he is the same God that just right now, 600 years later in the Quran, says that he actually deceives people, then your whole salvation is questionable now. And I speak now to my Muslim friends. How will you know that your salvation is secure if the God of the Quran clearly says that he just plots and schemes? How will we know for sure that what he told us in the Quran will come to pass? And here is why I would argue that this is a very contentious point that we ought to think about it very clearly because he is also, and that's the next point I'm going to raise, the author of abrogation, the author of cancellation, the author of replacement of his promises. Here's what I mean by abrogation. What it means is this. I want to bring it to uh, your attention what Jesus says in Matthew 5.17. I did not come to abolish, he says. I did not come to cancel. I did not come to abrogate the law and the prophet, but to fulfill them. Okay? So that's what Jesus says. And obviously Jesus came to fulfill the promises of God that were revealed in the Scripture. And in the time of Christ, it would have been 1,300 years earlier when the Scripture uh, began to be revealed to us in writing through the pen of Moses, starting from Genesis all the way to the time of Christ. Of course, we had that Old Testament, and then the New Testament continues, of course, 
affirmation of those promises and how Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of those. So Jesus says, I came really to fulfill all of the requirements and the prophecies and the law and many other things mentioned about me and also mentioned through the scripture related to the law and to the prophets. Think about this now. Imagine if Jesus says, I came to cancel those promises and the law. If he came to cancel them, then what would we make out of the promises in the Old Testament that God is going to give us a son, and this son will be called Emmanuel? How will we take that if Jesus just told us that he came actually to cancel it? Should we trust Jesus now that he is the fulfillment of those promises? Because he just told us, I'm canceling those things. What about um, what the book of Hebrews says that all of the things in Old Testament were nothing but a shadow of the real thing, meaning the sacrifice system, for instance, or the appearances of um, uh, uh, Melchizedek, for instance, as a type of Christ, and uh, many of the other stories that we read in the Old Testament. Imagine all of those being canceled. How will Jesus then be the fulfillment of all of those? But Jesus says, no, I came to fulfill them. Because in me, in Christ now, we are able to fulfill all of these promises and requirements, especially the law, the sacrificial law, for instance, because Jesus is the ultimate Lamb of God, the sacrifice that was offered on the cross for the forgiveness of our sin. He was buried, and he rose again according to the Scripture on the third day, to justify us. So it is the scripture that Paul, for instance, uses to declare this gospel to us in 1 Corinthians 5, uh, 15, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, from verses 1 to 5, when he declared that this gospel that he is delivering to us, which he has received himself, and he's delivering as of first importance, it is no other than the gospel that Jesus Christ came to die for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the scripture. Notice, he is using the ultimate eyewitness, the scripture, the word of God. And then he proceeded after that to give us also a whole list of other eyewitness accounts, as if he's saying, if you don't believe me, just go and ask all of these people that I'm listening to you. And of course, when he wrote it, those people were around, and he says most are still around, basically. So, Um, If this is the God that we're talking about who preserved all of these promises and Jesus was the fulfillment of those promises, how will he then in 600 years after the time of Christ, when Muhammad appeared as a prophet of Islam, will tell us something like this in chapter 2 of the Quran, verse 106, none of our revelations do we abrogate or cause to be forgotten, but we substitute something better or similar. Think about this for a second. Here's the God of the Quran is saying, I don't really cancel it, but I just replace it with something better. Are you telling me, this is my question to you, that what God reveals usually may not be good, and later he will think about it and say, "Mm, maybe I should really replace it with something better. That wasn't really clear. Is that what we're reading here? Isn't that a direct attack against the character of God himself, the perfection of God, the holiness of God, the preservation of his word. What about this verse? Chapter 16 of the Quran, verse 101, is what it says. When we substitute one revelation for another, 
and Allah knows best what he reveals, they will say, you are nothing but a forger. Notice, even the people really of the time of Muhammad kind of like caught on this and like, you know, are you forging words here and telling us that God changed them? These are non-believers, by the way. So somehow they got it. And they have every right to question the fact that God, this God, supposedly is replacing his word and his revelations. Uh, folks, this is an attack on God, actually. And I speak to my Muslim people right now. You know, we have a phrase in Arabic, astaghfirullah, meaning God for, uh, forbid that we would make such an accusation. How are we accusing God of changing his own word? We're talking about God. We're not talking just about a human being. In fact, this is what God in the scripture says about himself. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? This is in Numbers 23, 19. That's what God is saying about himself, comparing himself to us as humans. Malachi 3, 6. For I, Yahweh, do not change. When God changes his word, this means that God is changing. This is also uncharacteristic of who God is. We are accusing God of basically vacillating on his promises. That's pretty much what it boils down to, if I'm going to use a common phrase here. Here is what 2 Timothy 2.13, it says, If we are faithful, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. God does not change. God doesn't really repent and say, hmm, I really am going to change my entire plan of salvation because it's not working. Maybe I should really do it differently. It's the 21st century after all. Well, if, if that's the case, then uh, we're not following a God that really sticks to his promises, and then how would I know that I am saved too? Now, once again, I really extend my offer to my Muslim friends, and I appeal to them to read these kind of scriptures in Old Testament, New Testament, and compare it just to uh, God in the Quran, and <laughs> let them be the judge. Let them decide for themselves. Are they following a God that saves? Is he the same God, for instance, that made these awesome declarations in the Old Testament? What about Hebrews 13.8? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ, God incarnate, the Word of God appearing in the flesh, the God who took on the form of a human servant to come and serve us, same God, the one God that we worship, the one triune God, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Matthew 24, 35, this is what we read, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So how can we really fathom the fact that the same God who just said this in Matthew 24, 35 says, I will replace with something better than I, what I just said. It Doesn't that mean that his word has passed away already because he has replaced it already? Isn't that what it means? 
Um, you know, if if we were to say, um, if a Muslim, for instance, a person would hear something like this, many times we will get a number of different responses. One of them, for instance, said this abrogation is not referring, for instance, to the Quran, but the indication here that the Quran actually came to cancel and abrogate the scripture that came before it. If that's the case, let us look then at chapter 87 of the Quran, verses 6 to 8. By degrees shall we teach you to declare the message, speaking to Muhammad here, so let me simplify it. By decrees shall we teach you, Muhammad, to declare the message so that you shall not forget except as Allah wills. Notice, so the forgiveness and the replacement and the changes here do not apply to the Bible, but rather they apply to the Quran because Muhammad is being told here by the God of the Quran that whatever you're going to forget in terms of not memorizing or at least forgetting some passages that you cannot recall, God wills it for you that you forgive it. But why? Because he's going to replace it now. So we're talking about the Quran. Nowhere that we find that Muhammad actually was required to memorize the scripture, the Bible. He was told to go to the people of the book. Definitely. But it is not talking about replacement of the scripture that came before the Quran. We're talking about here the Quran itself. So it is obvious to us that then we are not talking about the Bible to be forgotten, but rather the uh, word of Allah himself. Now, um, sometimes uh, the response uh, is presented to us that the Bible clearly speaks of God regretting. That's the word that will be used to create man, for instance, or God having repented of bringing on a certain disaster like what happened during the flood in Genesis 6-6, for instance. Well, um, we have to really understand that there is a vast difference here between the Holy Bible and how it describes these events to us and how God really is presenting those things to us and the uh, nature of sin, for instance, uh, as opposed to how the Quran views uh, this. And also the Bible uses something called anthropomorphic, which means God uses languages that are only understood by humans. In other words, God is describing emotions to us here that a human being can relate to. It's almost like God saying, I grieved making man, for this is how man repaid me, by sinning against me, by leaving me by cutting his relationship with me, by costing me my son now to go and die on a cross to redeem man. This is pretty much the message that we are getting. And uh, any human being, especially a parent, will think this way if their child uh, grieved him by an action that they have done. So we have to really understand that the God of the Bible is a God who cares about his creation the humans, he wants to relate to them, and he wants to connect to them, and he wants to bond with them, and he wants to have a relationship with them. Well, obviously, um, this topic is going to require more than just one show, and it's evidence of the fact that we have invested almost seven to eight weeks already, and we will continue to invest a couple of more. Um, I would love to revisit this very uh, same argument 
and the topic itself uh, next week. Uh, but for now, I uh, want to just um, uh, remind you, if you just tuned in, that uh, this is uh, Let Us Reason, a Christian Muslim dialogue with Al-Fadi. You can always connect with me directly if you were to email me at Sira Ministries, in the plural, Sira, C-I-R-A, then the word Ministries, plural, Sira Ministries at gmail.com. Many of you have done so. I would love to interact with you if you have any questions or you have any um, needs for uh, equipping or training. Uh, a Skype is another way that I can, I can connect with you as well. But uh, the most important thing is you can always go and visit the archived uh, uh, files or uh, episodes of this show and the ones before it related to this topic about the God of Islam and the God of the Bible or any of our shows on uh, basically soundcloud.com forward slash let us reason. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Al Fadi. Until we meet again next week, have a blessed weekend. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs>